Welcome to New Hope's teaching podcast. This is an excerpt from our Sunday morning service. Visit newhopepdx.org teaching for notes, worship, and church announcements. Stay up to date with our teaching series and events by downloading our app. Just text New Hope PDX app to 77977. Enjoy this week's lesson. Hey, how's it going? New Hope, welcome to our online gathering. Thanks so much for for joining us today. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors at New Hope, and you get a special treat today. Hannah, one of our other pastors and myself, get the opportunity to interview Dr. Beth Stovell. And so some of you might be asking, why why do you do this, John? You've been doing some of these interviews over the last year or so, and you know, why don't you just preach or someone else preach? And that's a fair question. The reason is when we have opportunity to learn from others, especially people who know a lot about God's word, I want to take it or another subject. And that's just kind of how I'm wired. We want to be a community that is a learning community. And we're at the intersection of a lot of people we get to know and do life with here in Portland and even in the greater Portland area. Uh, And Beth is a new friend. And so when we're going through this Gospel of John series, this is now the 10th week, uh, we've taken it seriously. I've studied hard. The other teachers have studied hard. But Beth's at a different level. She is a John scholar. So she spent a significant amount of her life using her PhD skills to study the Gospel of John. So sit back. This will be a treat. Let me tell you a little bit about Beth. I'll read you some of her bio. Beth is a professor of Old Testament and chair of general theological studies at Ambrose University in Calgary, Alberta. With her husband, John, she also is a pastor. They work with the the Vineyard denomination in Canada and provide spiritual and theological resources and support for a whole network of pastors. One of the reasons I love Beth, scholar and pastor. Beth's written numerous books. Uh, As you'll learn, she's working on a commentary right now on the Gospel of John. Ask Beth what she likes to do. She loves camping and hiking in the Canadian Rockies. If you're familiar with Calgary, it's really close to some beautiful terrain. And she has two children, Elena, 14, and Atticus, 11. She's also a sci-fi geek, she admits, and loves singing and playing music and creating interesting food for her family to enjoy. And she'll mention one of those uh, in, in the interview. So uh, it's, it, was a, it was a really outstanding conversation. <laughs> you see, I get emotional at one point, and there's lots of laughter. And, and Bess, a new friend, new friend of mine, new friend of Hannah's, new friend of New Hope's. And we look forward to learning from her for a long time. So this is your introduction to Dr. Bess Stovell for the first time. I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. And most importantly, you'll grow from being involved in this conversation. So with no further ado, uh, enjoy the conversation. All right, Han and I are super excited to have a conversation uh, with Dr. Beth Stovell. Did I say it right? Last Good. Night? Yes, I got it. And <laughs> can we call you Beth? Absolutely. Great. And uh, so Beth is a professor of the Old Testament and a chair of general theological studies at Ambrose University in Calgary, Alberta. And for those of you who are geographically challenged, that's in Canada. Did you know that, Hannah? I mean, Kinda, yeah. I did. I did. I've been. I've been there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been there as well. They they hosted an Olympics. I remember that. And then I, I flew in for a conference one time, and then I drove to the Banff area mm-hmm. and hiked up to Lake Louise. It's really pretty. 
you get like what 15 minutes outside the city and then the mountains just like whoa so we have crosswalks for wildlife uh, on the on the highways it's Dude, remarkable yeah. <laughs> we're already getting distracted here but han and i love to backpack so we're officially jealous beth so we uh so why why are we doing this we, we those of you part of our new hope community know that we regularly have conversations with people that are way smarter than than we are or are way smarter than me at least han is pretty smart and we've been in a john series gospel john for nine weeks this is the 10th week so we thought uh beth is a john scholar so we thought we'd bring in someone who actually knew what they were talking about so that's you beth <laughs> Okay. And I'm sure our congregation is grateful to finally hear from someone who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> Touche. No, but Beth, we do want to learn a little bit about you. So can you kind of give us the the 30,000 foot view of just who you are? How did you get to your current role and, and position? And yeah, help fill us in a little bit. Yeah, so um, so I'm actually originally American, grew up in Austin, Texas, which I, I heard Hannah is visiting right now. That's right. Um, and uh, I grew up in Texas um, in an evangelical family, um, pretty conservative. Um, and when I thought about doing seminary, um, I realized that, uh, that maybe I should explore a whole bunch of different places. And one of the places that came up was actually Canada, was in Vancouver. Um, Vancouver's gorgeous, so it wasn't like a big, it wasn't hard to sell me to do that. Um, but I ended up moving to Canada in my early 20s um, to do school at Regent College. While I was there, I met an, a handsome, amazing Canadian guy, uh, which is part of why I ended up staying in Canada. Um, and I've been in Canada for uh, pretty much the rest of my adult life. That's almost 20 years. So that ages me. Um, but uh, we have traveled from BC, from Vancouver, um, all the way across to Hamilton, Ontario, which is just north of Buffalo, New York. Then we uh, traveled from there once I had, uh, or we had our PhDs. Um, then I ended up getting my first job in Miami. So we actually moved back to the US. And from Miami, after a few years, we realized we just wanted to come back to Canada and I wanted to teach at a seminary. Uh, and so I, I got my job in Calgary and we are an hour out from the mountains, which we love because we love all of the hiking and uh, backpacking and all that kind of thing, camping. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's that was part of that journey. Um, and then I, I always like to say along that journey, we also had two awesome kids. Uh, so my, my son, my daughter was born when we were in Vancouver. My son was born when we were in Ontario. And then they grew up a little in, in Miami and then the rest of it in uh, in uh, Canada now. So they're back. Um, I feel yeah. like you need, you need to hit San Diego so you can get like the four corners, you know? <laughs> yeah, we've talked about like mapping throughout North right. America. <laughs> but yeah, and, uh, and I, I, I love being a bridge. So a lot of the work I do is bridging the academic world with the church. And that to me, I love the idea of being a bridger, um, somebody who kind of connects people with each other. And I also just really love connecting people with each other. Um, so looking for ways to build those relationships. So that's a big part of who I am and kind of my story. Um, I should say one thing, which might be confusing for people, because my title is Old Testament professor, and then I'm a New Testament scholar. So um, I'm both. So when I did my degree and my PhD, I actually did Old Testament and New Testament. And when I got my first job, it was both. And then I got a job that was Old Testament specifically, but I actually teach both, um, even in my job right now. So it might help just for people to know that because it could be somebody's like, oh, wait, hold on. Um, but that's, I still work in John and get to teach a John class besides all my Old Testament classes. So that's me. 
Cool. Thanks for sharing that. It sounds like your life got hijacked from marrying a handsome Canadian. That's just it. Everything <laughs> changed from then, right? That's how, that's how you told the story. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued to meet your husband. And yeah, I think one of the things that draws me to your work is we've gotten to know each other as you both work for your denomination, Vineyard mm-hmm. Canon as well. You're a pastor, you provide theological, spiritual resources for the church. So not only you're a scholar, but you love the church. And, and for Han and I, who believe in the church, obviously, deeply, uh, that warms uh, our heart. So I, I'm a huge fan of women in ministry, and we we try to champion that at our church. I've got two little girls, and they love Jesus, and I'm delighted by that. I bet when you were a little girl, I'm guessing that you were like, hey, I'm dreaming of growing up to be a Bible scholar. Because frankly, there's not a lot of women Bible scholars, at least right now. I think that's changing. And I'm grateful for that. And that's not a pejorative statement. It's just a factual statement. And we don't need to get into why and all that. But like, I'm just intrigued in your journey. And maybe you did, maybe you were five years old and had a dream of being a Bible scholar. I guess I'm presuming that wasn't the case. So how did you get to where you are today? When did God plant that seed in your heart? Yeah, you know, it's funny how many different careers you have when you're a kid and what you think you're going to do and be. Um, I actually thought I was going to be a different kind of doctor. I thought I was going to be a pediatric neurosurgeon. That was like my plan. Um, and I started university actually doing that. That was, that was doing biochemistry and stuff like that um, as what my original original journey was alongside wanting to write a novel. I didn't know how they worked together, but that was like what I pictured. Uh, great fiction writer and biochemist. I don't know. Um, so, um, you know, I, I grew up with a deep love of languages and a deep love of the Bible. Um, when I was 12, I fell in love with Latin. And, um, by the time I got to university that extended to Greek, um, and I just, I just loved learning the languages and learning about the Bible. I was the person after class in every Sunday school who wanted to ask like 20 questions, Um, But I didn't grow up in a context where women became Bible scholars. Um, In fact, the context I grew up in didn't think women should teach men at all um, in any capacity. And so it wasn't a dream that I actually had even a vision for. I didn't have a a window for it because I was like basically told that's not a thing women do. So, um, So because of that, by the time I got to university, I was like, well, you know what I can do? I can study English um, because I can study the Bible and talk about it as literature. And so I did English degrees and classics degrees and continued in that. Um, and even into my master's degree when I was in seminary. But when I was in seminary, I had a professor come to me. Um, he, I had been in his New Testament class as one of the other kinds of courses I had to take. Uh, his name was Rick Watts. Um, he's still around. Um, he, uh, he came up to me and he said, um, I believe the spirit has told me you're supposed to be a biblical scholar. And as a charismatic person, I really take seriously, if someone says the Holy Spirit told me something, I'm going to listen. You know, I'm going to discern it, but I'm going to listen. And inside me, it was very much a, this is what you've always wanted to do, but didn't think you could. And so, um, so I said to Rick, um, I hope you understand that for me, this isn't just, you know, changing a degree. This is, um, this is going to mean like talking to my family about something they're not going to be happy with. This is going to mean spending the rest of my life having those conversations, this, that that's going to be what this is. So if this is from the spirit, I want to follow it, but I want it to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so he mentored me, which was wonderful. Um, and I also had a new husband at the time, the handsome John that uh, I mentioned. Um, he, uh, 
we had thought I was just about to finish my degree. I was actually almost done with an English degree. Um, and so it actually going to him and I said, um, so you know that thing we were going to finish and we were going to have, you know, not have to work so much because I wasn't in school anymore. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking I might do another degree. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, when I told my husband about it, he just, he said, I thought he was going to actually be the one to say no. Like, I just kind of thought he might close that door because of finances. And instead he said, I've been thinking that same thing. I've been feeling like that's what the spirit's been saying to me, but because he's a theologian, he was concerned that that was like, cause he could imagine us doing ministry together of teaching and preaching and writing together. He could picture that with me as a biblical scholar and him as a theologian. And he didn't want to be, he thought that was maybe going to be selfish. And he's like, but the Holy Spirit says, yes. Holy Spirit says yes. And so, um, so that ended up leading into the next step. Um, but you know, it is, it is a challenge being a woman in my field that we are less than 20%. Um, so, but I think that the gift has been so wonderful. Um, pastoring, um, I've been in teaching and preaching ministry for now for almost 20 years. Um, my parents have also changed their shape of how they think about this because of it. Um, and I've watched, the gift of the past years of getting to help other women feel that they have a voice and they have a space. Um, that in part, because that's my story, I've been able to love and care for others and encourage them. And that's been so wonderful. And one of my favorite parts of the work I do is actually that doing that encouraging work. Um, and so, yeah. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, Beth. I think that story is, helps connect us to, you know, context and relationship helps. And mm-hmm. I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing that. I hope I hope my daughters are listening and 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 the other women out there are listening. Uh, so let's 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 transition to John. That's kind of our our main uh, locus today of our conversation. Uh, and we have a mutual friend, Nietzsche, who lives here in Portland. He's a good buddy of mine. He's one of my professors in my program. And so uh, he's networked pretty well. So I was like, okay, I need a really sharp John scholar. I'd love to interview someone. And uh, we've interviewed a number of, of men. I said, I love, I love a, a woman. And, and uh, he's like, Beth, he, you were at the top of his list. So, um, and I'd seen you once kind of grill him on his paper that he delivered at Ambrose and I really liked you. And um, so I was like, yeah, that's great. So thanks for your generosity. And you're in the middle of, I understand it, of writing a commentary on John, which I, I can't even imagine that task. I don't even know where I would begin. Um, but yeah, how did, how, how did you fall into that? And, you know, as we launch into kind of getting more into the minutiae of John, like just at an emotive level, level, what are you excited about as you kind of get into the the nuts and bolts of the gospel? Yeah. So, um, so it's interesting. The commentary is part of a series from Baker. Uh, it's actually geared towards um, charismatic and Pentecostal pastors and leaders. Um, and so it's, it's, it's the kind of commentary that's made for really, in a sense, the everyday person, which I love writing for that audience. Um, I have another commentary I'm working on right now on the minor prophets. It's a similar kind of audience. Um, I actually heard about it, uh, from one of the editors at Baker, cause I'm working on another project with them. Um, and before it even became something, uh, Jim Kinney was chatting with me. He's the, one of the editors there. And, um, he said, what do you think of this? Is this like a, a thing that could, that there could be some space for? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and, uh, he and I chatted about some names and things like that. And, uh, then Craig Keener, um, who's a major biblical scholar in John, um, he contacted me to ask if I'd do write on John. Um, I did my, my dissertation on John. And since then I've continued to write on John. Um, I love John. 
uh, not just because I'm married to a John. Johns are great. Um, but John's gospel is amazing. Um, I find it so full of so many different layers. And on the one hand, it you can read it and it feels so simple. Um, there's parts of it that you read and it just feels like, okay, I, this is this is relatively straightforward and simple language. But it's also got so many layers of depth. And one of the things I love about it is exploring uh, exploring how many different kinds of images, which you guys have been working on. I love looking at the images of John. But I also love that its central focus in so many ways is love and the identity of Jesus. And that centrality of love um, that flows throughout the book is just, it's just amazing. And it's so powerful, I think, to write about. Um, we sometimes use the language of love in a light way, um, love that doesn't have kind of the depth and fullness um, that Jesus brings to it. And the idea of love that's conditioned by who Jesus is, what he did uh, for us, that that's what love looks like. I love writing about that. I could write about that the rest of my life. So that's, that's awesome. Well, let's, I, I'd like to, you to interact a little bit with where we've been and then take us into terrain we haven't been into in the series because John's a mammoth gospel. We chose the through line of images, but I could go back and teach the gospel four different other ways and catch other things. So this is just one way. Uh, we'll, we'll return to it at some point. But uh, as you know, we talked about, you helped me kind of frame the series a little bit with some conversations we had We've landed, we landed on, on nine images to kind of carry us through Lent and Easter and, um, you know, word temple, well, bread, light. I won't go into all of them. Uh, I think I sent you the list of those images that we canvassed and kind of talked about, which of those in your studies, uh, grabs you. You're like, oh, I really love that, uh, personally, uh, and why? Yeah. You know, it's, that question's so hard because every single one of them is just amazing. Right. Um, I could probably spend two hours just talking about every single one and not get tired. Um, but I think the ones that the two that most strike me, um, I've written a lot on shepherd. That's one of the ones that I really appreciate in part because I, as an old Testament person, um, it's really grounded in the picture in Ezekiel of God as shepherd, um, which I think is wonderful. But the one that I wanted to talk about is temple. Um, actually, the first book that I read in John, um, where I said, oh, I can imagine myself as a Johannine scholar, as a scholar on John, was a book called Jesus is like about Jesus as the temple. Um, and one of the things I love about that image is how it's connected to the bigger idea of God's spirit and God's presence. Um, the idea of the space where God dwells um, and that idea of God's presence with us and God's desire to be with us which I think is a through that like is a picture that's throughout the entire Bible. I think that's like the point of the Bible is he wants to be with us. Um, and so I love temple imagery because I think it picks up on that. And I love that that in John, in John's gospel, Jesus is pictured as the temple with us. And then as we get into the, the rest of the New Testament, we're as a community, as Christians are, are that temple. Um, and there's that notion of all of us as anointed by the spirit together, um, that continuing idea. So I really, I really like that as a way of thinking about who is Jesus? What does it mean? And what does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus? So we, like John said, we talked about, you know, these nine different images and 
there's so many in the gospel of John that it would have been a long series, which John would have liked. John likes long series, but it would have taken us, you know, a while to get through. Wait, Beth, do you like long series? Can you solve this? The team's always like five or six weeks. I'm like 12. And then it's like, oh. Anyway, you don't, I don't want to put you on the spot. Go ahead. No, Hannah, no. I, interrupt. I, I, I like series that are the length for what you need to do. That's, that's, okay. Oh, that's, that's a very diplomatic, diplomatic response. Okay. Okay. That's just what I say. <laughs> so. That's good. That's good. But what did we miss? Were there any images that you're in, in your relationship with the with the Gospel of John that you're like, oh, but this one, you know, what is what are, what are what are those images, or what is one image that that if we had one more week, yeah, we could have, we could have covered. So there's two images that I thought of when you asked the question. So one is um, Jesus as the groom or as the bridegroom. Um, it's kind of the older term for it, but just the idea of him as uh, as as the one who is um, in love and is marrying the church in a sense, um, that's actually uh, the idea of Jesus as groom is one of the ones that's like, some people have traced that and that imagery throughout. Um, there's lots that we could talk about there. But the one that I would most want to have one more week on is what I wrote my dissertation on, which is Jesus is king. Um, and one of the things that's interesting is that when you look at the other gospels, um, so you've got the other three gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, they have a lot of kingdom of God language. It's all over the place or kingdom of heaven in Matthew. It's like, it's just all over the place. John only uses it a few times. And so it seems like maybe he's not as on about kingdom. Like maybe he's not talking about that as much. Um, what's interesting is that I think that what you see instead is Jesus as the king, as the emphasis. And so you see over and over again, lots of imagery around what it means for Jesus to be king. And um, so something like shepherd, which we have as one of the images you did cover, um, shepherds was a term that was often used of kings. Um, and so even language of he's the good shepherd implies this sort of political element of kingship as a part of what you have going on. Um, and so that language um, of kingship can be actually a really powerful connection point between how John's doing what he's doing and how the rest of the gospels do what they do. Hmm. That's great. Uh, that's that's uh I think Beth was in her own kind tacit way telling me how could you not do Jesus the king? It's like you know the one you know you, you had nine and like you didn't even choose the one I did my dissertation on. What's your oh, what's your problem? We had to save it for the interview. You know we had to save that one for Beth. Uh, do it over. We could just you know fly Beth in with all this non-pandemic and just have her teach that one. That would have been epic. Uh, awesome. So thanks. That's really. I mean, I already like I'm really I can't wait for your commentary because I think that the point that you made about the depth of love as understood in Jesus mm -hmm. and even this idea of king. I'm just sitting here like in my nerd part of my brain, just super intrigued with that because I think that was totally me like, oh, yeah, tons of kingdom in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. You don't you don't see any. It's not at least not on the surface level. It's not low hanging fruit in John, but that you that you argue that it's very much there as a true vein to the gospel is very intriguing to me because I think that that's a that's an image Jesus of King that and especially in a hyper political reality that we're all in that we have to confront if we're followers of Jesus that he's the King and that that that's way above any other calling or any other affiliation in our lives so thanks for that I'm 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 intrigued as a as a listener but I got to focus now all right so I think we're gonna. <laughs> We, we, uh, Hannah's going to launch some, some more fun questions. Just give people a, you know, yeah, we got to, yeah. You know, we stole this from on script 
podcast people, probably not many new Yorkers listen to OnScript, but it, it's kind of a nerdy scholar podcast, which I highly recommend. It's great. But they have this thing called a speed round. I think they try to, you know, you're not like this at all, Beth, but sometimes scholars can be a little, you know, stiff. And so, you know, I think they try to loosen up the scholars with some fun things. So I think the goal of this is just really short, off-the-cuff answers. <clears throat> Let us get to know you a little bit. So, Hannah, you want to you wanna take it away? Totally. All right, Beth. You are having a dinner. It's the pandemic is over. You're able to have people over. Living or dead. So there's lots of there's lots of, you know, dynamics that maybe aren't reality. But who would they be? These three people that you have over for, for dinner. And then, of course, why? Why did you pick those guys? Now, I'm going to get all literary because that's my like deep, deep, deep love is all literature things. Um, so Madeline Ingalls, my favorite author, oh. Wrinkle in Time. And oh, she's amazing. Uh, I'd want her to sit with Charlotte Bronte, Jane Eyre writer. Um, I would say Emily Bronte, but Emily would never come to dinner with other people. She would just be like, no, no. I'm going to go be with my dog. Um, and then N.K. Jameson, who um, recently wrote the Broken Earth series. Um, and I love these three women are very literary, um, smart, strong, very opinionated women. So I mostly just want to sit in here what they'd say to each other about writing and creativity. And I'm sure I'd learned a lot. So. That's awesome. I love that you deep go on the on the psychological wiring of the Bronte sisters. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I've got a ton of friends that have been trying to get me to read the Broken Earth series. So <clears throat> I'm gonna have to let you're yet another one that's telling me that like she is truly exceptional in her her Amazing. world crafting and all that. So all right, I'm gonna you know. All right, sorry, Hannah. No, that's okay. I haven't heard of it. I might have to do a little a little digging and find out more. All right. Not literary figures, but superhero. If you could be any superhero, who would it be? I have a prop. A prop. Oh, yes. This is my Wonder Woman. This is going what? in my office. I actually have a collection of Wonder Woman stuff in my office. In fact, students, know, they know which um, which professor has sent them notes because I have post-it notes that are Wonder Woman. Uh, yes. And I stick them on papers when back before COVID. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and I think why um, I just loved her since I was a kid. I love that she is a nurse when she's not a superhero. She's like the person who's caring for people and taking care of them, a nurturing person who's also super, super strong. Um, and to me, those combinations, that's um, that's why I like to self-identify in those sort of two there characteristics. So great. Okay, but Wonder Woman 1984 or the first Wonder Woman, which movie did you like better? I haven't seen 1984. So okay, it's, on my, it's on my list. Um, it is definitely on my list, but, uh, the, yes. So, uh, Wonder Woman before that, since it's the one I've seen. <laughs> yeah, great. Awesome. And then if you could, had a different career, if you weren't an old Testament and also new Testament scholar and, and educator, what would you do? Yeah, I actually really, really thought I'd write novels. Like I thought that I would be a novelist, um, a fiction novelist. Um, and I, I still miss that part of, of my writing. And like, I periodically just kind of do a little bit of writing here and there, then more fiction kind of space. Um, but I always pictured myself. That's what I pictured myself when I wasn't picturing myself as a pediatric neurosurgeon. That's what I pictured myself as. You've got so. a lot of dreams. This is great. You need more lives. <laughs> awesome. All right. Speed round. I think, I think you succeeded. How was that? 
I, I think she, I, I, I do want to ask one, one follow up. Cause I think this is one I've been asking a lot of people like, okay. what, what are your, what's been your pandemic coping, mm, coping uh, habits? Like, I know this is a vulnerable question if you're willing to share, but like all of us have them, right? I just think it oh, reveals yeah. a lot about how did you, what are some things you did? TV show? Snack, yeah. I don't know. So we, um, we believed that responding to intense things with humor was really important. So we, watched the entire seven seasons of parks and recreation mm. um which we laughed like crazy um That's i was yours we, too john right didn't yes, you yes i did that as well yeah. Yeah. uh we 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 rewatched we re firefly which we're so big sci-fi people um and uh, i watched i watched really hilarious shows with my kids um we we play games together like video games a lot so we played a lot of Animal Crossing and a lot of um, Mario Odyssey and uh, and I made a lot of crazy food. I really like trying new things. So like I made Vietnamese pho with like real bone broth. It was really like just kind of fun to try stuff since we were around the house. And so yeah. that's awesome. It sounds like on the whole pandemic coping scale, that's pretty healthy stuff. So well done. Uh, <laughs> well, let's well, I got a couple more questions. We got a couple more questions on John before we 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 tie up our interview here. So um, when you and I were talking prior to the series, I think I'm correct. I heard you say one of your focuses is not only the images and the pictures of John, but how they're linked together. And you've already alluded to that uh, several times with the bridegroom imagery and the King one I shared with you. I talked last week about Jesus, the host. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that. Cause there's these isolated images, but I've been arguing since day one of the series that we're meant to see Jesus. I use the term through the kaleidoscope of all of them. Yeah. Um, so just riff on that a little bit. Talk to us about how yeah. the images are connected. Well, I mean, an example would be we sometimes will talk about in John how the father is pictured or we'll talk about how the son is pictured Um, or if we're really getting deep into the text, we might talk about like the language about daughter Zion or something like that. But we might not talk about that as those are all family images. Um, and they're all intended to, in some ways, be connected to each other. Um, same thing with children imagery. Like we're part of the we are the children of God. Well, that's connected to son and to father, um, and to daughter. <laughs> um, and so then you, when you do that, you start to go, oh, there's a whole lot of family of God imagery, rather than it just being father or son or some piece of it. Um, and then you start to say, okay, well, that means that these different passages must be more connected to each other than I really thought of. Um, I I mentioned kings and shepherds, but you can also talk about um, kings as anointed ones. So they're, you know, alongside prophets and priests, kings were anointed. And so the message in John that Jesus is the Messiah, that's central to to John's message. He says that in John 20. I know you guys have mentioned that a few, John 20, 31, um, that that's the point of the book is to see that. So if you can see this sort of anointing with oil language and the spirit connected to the king language, he's the shepherd who's a good shepherd. And also kings were associated with warriors. So when he comes into the city in John 12, and in a sort of almost like a warrior coming into the city, um, those are all connected to imagery of kingship, but they're all connected kind of to each other. So each image has its own set of things. I mean, if you talk about shepherd, obviously shepherds are different than kings in terms of how you describe them, like sheep and flocks and you know things like that. Um, but there is an overlap between them. And that overlap allows for more connection across the book. Yeah, that's I you you mentioned earlier the 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 
the depth of John and also the simplicity. And in my study, mm -hmm. I, I've encountered that reading certain John scholars. And I also love Keener. His his two volume is is awesome. Um, but yeah, I think that that really resonates with me just as a reader, just as a follower. There's there's stuff that I could sit a child down, right? That's the gospel you tell everybody to read when they're brand new Christian. And 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 yet you can read it when you've been walking with Jesus for 60 years or something and see something or, or if you're a scholar and there's I've, I've heard that it's an overused imagery with imagery of the onion, you know, the peeling mm -hmm. back that there's just, oh, my goodness, there's more there. And I've been through it several times as a as a teacher. And each time it grows richer mm -hmm. and more demanding, more. It invites mm -hmm. you in deeper to a deeper level of of discipleship. So, um, yeah, yeah, I like to compare it to a well. Um, and the idea that you, you could go at the top of a well and you'd have water, but you can keep swimming down and down. It's like a bottomless well. Um, and the harder, the farther down you go, the little, it's more difficult to swim, but it's, you're still, you're going, there's richness, there's fullness all the way down. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's what, why I love to be a scholar. Cause I get to do the deep diving, but I feel like everyone gets to do that. The more they read the Bible, the more they learn. So. And I, think that was one of the images of Jesus, right? As the well. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Bottomless. So Beth, you know, with all of those layers and all those different ways that we could engage this book, and, and I've, I've loved personally going through it from this kind of encounter and this imagery perspective, but what would you want to say to our church today as we have spent the last nine, 10 weeks steeped in this text as we emerge from it and move on to a new series, we're studying the book of Ephesians next, but, but what would you invite us to let linger in our hearts and our minds mm -hmm. as we want to be people that don't just start to learn things in our head, but really start to let it become us so that we might be participants mm -hmm. in God's kingdom more fully. You know, um, one of the things that we've talked about a little already is this idea that part of John's whole purpose is to let people know who Jesus is. And that sounds maybe really simple, but it's actually really profound mm -hmm. that Jesus wants us to know him, to really know him, to get to know him, to all these different parts of who he is and what he cares about, um, that God wants to be known um, and wants us to, to, to connect to him. And that's not just a, an, a, like a, a brain thing. Um, it's part of how we grow in life. Um, one of the things I love is that in believing you might have life mm -hmm. and this idea of the life that's abundant, the fullness of life that God desires for us. Sometimes, um, depending upon what we've been told in the past, sometimes we almost feel like God wants to take things away from us. Um, some traditions lean into that. And I think one of the things I love about John is that it's about the abundance that God wants to give of love and flourishing, that that's something that God has for all of us, but that it's not something that we hoard. One of the things that's really beautiful about the gospel is this love command that comes over and over and over again. Um, and love command just means love one another as I have loved you is the phrase that's over and over again, not only in John's gospel, but in John's letters. And that love one another was always what they were supposed to do. Love God, love your neighbor. That was always the message. But the, as I have loved you is the new part. We know how to love because we watch Jesus love. We watch him love the people that others think are unlovable. Um, and, and we are asked, we're called to love like Jesus loved. Um, and, and that's a huge calling to, to say, well, what does it look like to love in the simple and big ways that Jesus loved? 
what does that look like to love the person who lives next to you or down your street? Or what does it look like to love people in your community? And I feel like that's what God asks us again and again in John's gospel, to look at Jesus, to see who he is and to say, I want to be like that. Hmm. Um, and I think that that's what John wants to linger, hmm. um, that that we are challenged to this new kind of love that looks like Jesus. Hmm. As you're talking about that, I'm thinking it's remarkable that even the disciple John refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved, you know, the beloved disciple, right? Oh, shaped his identity. Yeah. And I love that for us too, because I think it's important that we experience that God loves us, which I think is really important to how we love others. Mm -hmm. And so essential that John, that's how he saw himself as one who God loves. And I think it's important that that's how we see ourselves. We're ones that God loves. Um, yeah, that's a, that's such a powerful way, Beth, to close our book. Thank you for that challenge. I, I, I'll I never forget a story I read in one of Brendan Manning's books where he was going through a really mm-hmm. tough time and he was doing a spiritual retreat at a cabin and, and he was just really in the throes of deep depression and a friend got a note to him and it, he opened it and it simply said, you are the one Jesus loves. And I think that that's such a powerful message and, I think it's marked my life in really dark places. And I think even this morning, um, I have some friends going through some tough things and I just wanted to encourage them. So I sent them both a text that said, you know, no matter what happens today, you know, stay grounded in the reality and the identity that you're beloved children of the King, mm-hmm. which I think brings together several different images you shared today. Mm-hmm. And um, man, we need that. And yet, you know, new hope as you're listening to us, I think, Beth, you would probably agree with this and Hannah as well. It's also frightening because I think coming out of COVID and, you know, not knowing how to do relationship, both of you probably have people in your life that just love you so well. And they ask you those deep questions and they're there for you and your lives are so enriched. But sometimes it's frightening to get together with them. Because it's easier to like hold it, you know, and I just hear you say that invitation of Jesus, that picture of just arms open wide. He knows you know, what, what the woman at the well said, right? He knows everything I ever did. Like, oh my goodness, you know, mm-hmm. but still keeps coming after us and still loves us. I mean, that's such a provocative image and and something that I think we all were in the Imago Dei were created to need. And so if you're out there listening to this, do hope that's the gospel of John. You need this life is only found in Jesus in that relationship. There's There's not a plan B for that. There's no way we can find other pathways to accomplishing that. So thank you, Beth, for reminding us of that. Thank you for your scholarship. Having having some good friends that are scholars, it is hard, lonely work. So thank you for us pastors that every week I get out like, you know, Han and I, when we get ready for service, we get like a host of commentaries and I can't wait to add yours to the mix. So we don't say something stupid and heretical and, you know, so it grounds us and you're doing that good and faithful work and how well you care for the churches and in Canada, America's little brother and sister, you know, we just, we, we love them. So I'm just, I had to give one Canada comment in, right? Yeah, it, was like, it, was, it was looking at the very end, but you know, uh, so, uh, so Beth, when people, I'm sure they're going to watch the three, they say, wow, she's really sharp and she's so great. Um, where do people, can they follow you? Do you blog? Where can they find your, your commentary when it comes out? Yeah. So, um, so I, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter and I'm happy to accept people to, you know, follow me there. Um, I'm uh, actually starting a podcast, so that'll be coming up in the next couple months. So as that happens, I'll be posting about that. Um, and, um, you can, 
actually just Google me to be honest, if you're looking for my books or things like that. Um, my kids joke that I'm semi-famous, which I don't really think that I am, but they, they're like the fact that you can go best of L and find me. <laughs> so honestly, if you're looking for things I've written, that's the easiest way. So, Great. We'll, we'll for sure do that. Um, and can you close us by just gifting us with a prayer for our community as we seek to follow Jesus in Southeast Portland? This conversation has helped us, but at the heart of it, we just need God's grace and we need the Holy Spirit. So if you can pray that over us, we'd be grateful. Absolutely. Lord, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for this community. I pray that you would bless New Hope. I pray that you would bless them in their homes where they are. I pray that you'd bless them in their communities. I pray for the city that they live in, that you would they would be a blessing to that place. But I pray for your spirit, God, for your spirit to dwell with them in ways that, that give new life and excitement about the work that you're doing. I pray for eyes to see the work you're already working on. I pray for ears to hear the words that you have for them. And I pray for hearts that are open to how they can serve what ways they can uh, reach out to each other to love each other well and to love their community well. I pray that this church would be a church that's known in the community as one that's a gift. Um, I pray for that, Lord, and I pray for each person. I know that this, this season has been a hard season for so many of us. I pray for those who might be struggling right now. I pray for your spirit to be close to them. I pray for your presence to be so near that they know that they are the loved, that they are the ones who are loved by you. Um, I pray that, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Beth. We're, we're grateful for your time and uh, at some point in the hopefully the not too distant future, hopefully we can see you face to face about like, I'd prefer yeah. to come your way. I'm just saying, you know, like a little backpacking trip. Right? Happy to have you. Canada says welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Right. Bye, guys.